But I'm going to read verses 19 through 27 of James chapter 1. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer, who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The word of the Lord. Isn't it good that God speaks to us? So let's continue our worship now. Uh, we're going to uh, sing and worship, but also receive gifts, uh, offerings from us to our God, saying thank you for him. He has blessed us, and he asks us to bring the very first and the very best back to him as an act of worship in trust and in thanksgiving to him. Father, thank you that we uh, get to continue now our worship, God. You ask us to be doers of your word, not just hearers, God, so let us, let us act this is now the part of the worship where we give, and so we want to we wanna give in a way that honors you. Be honored in these gifts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, that's what our life is about, that God is making worshipers out of us so that everything we do would praise the Lord, right? And so sometimes we come to these practical books like James, and we get a little bit nervous that, that God is out to get me, that he's mad at me, and yet... What God wants to do for those of us that are saved by grace is to make us begin to look like His Son, and that brings glory to Him. And so what we're really learning about is how do we walk as worshipers that are glorifying God in everything that we do. And so we're continuing in our series, the book of James, talking about faith that works. It was written by the brother of Jesus who led the church in Jerusalem, and he is giving us practical wisdom for living out our Christian life. In fact, some have looked at the book of James, they call it the Proverbs of the New Testament because it gives such practical wisdom about what it means to be a follower of Christ and have our faith manifest itself in our life, that our life would look different than the world around us so that Jesus would be glorified. And so as we heard, we're going to be looking at James 1, 19 through 27, if you have your Bible um, for when Kevin's reading, please keep that open. We'll work through it, looking verse by verse here, and we're going to note some things along the way. Now, when we look at our passage today, it's really, it's really has two major imperatives that James wants to give us, and then he's going to give us some practical examples of what he's talking about, and we heard these. So the first one is going to be, he's going to tell us that we need to, as followers of Jesus, take in the Word of God. Okay, he says, receive the implanted Word. 
And then next he's going to say, then once we've taken it in, we then need to live out God's word as followers of Jesus. And then he'll give us three quick practical examples that we live this out in our speech, we live it out in the mercy that we show others around us, and we live it out in the ways that we live in holiness, in personal holiness. Um, And so I want you to think about this for a second. Really these imperatives to take in the word of God and then to live it out, this is, this is the basic plan of discipleship. This is discipleship in a nutshell, that we would gather around God's Word, we would hear from God, and then we would implement it in our lives and begin to walk it out. And that's why we have long believed in the, the preaching of God's Word here at Risen Life, and that really everything we do, we should gather around God's Word personally, one-on-one with other people in small groups on Sunday morning like we're doing here, that we would take in God's Word and let it affect us and then walk it out. Uh, this is why we've added this to the, this inner ring of our discipleship wheel here, that first we, we begin that relationship with Jesus. We set Jesus as Lord and we begin to live for Him. And, and then it's God's Word, the Bible, that teaches us how to do that. Uh, and the more we press into that, the more that God will be glorified in our lives. And so these are important imper- imperatives that James is going to give us that help us develop a faith that really works. So let's look at his first imperative here to take in the Word of God in James 1, 19 through 21. Now, before we get to that, that imperative, James is going gonna, gonna to begin with kind of a case study on our communication and the way that we speak to one another, how our problems in communication lead us to a need for the Word of God. So look what he says here in verse 19. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we have some instructions here on our communications as believers in Jesus that we are to be quick to hear. That means we need to listen more, (laughs) be slow and good listeners. Slow to speak means we need to consider our words carefully. Slow to anger, which means we should respond to what we hear in reasoned and measurable ways, measured ways. And so let's just pause here for a second. Could James not give us better, more countercultural statement for these days that we live in, right? I mean, think, think about this for a second. In our age of social media, right, Facebook and Twitter and everything else in the news, we don't listen at all. <laughs> no one listens to each other. We're quick to speak and talk over one another, and anger really has become our currency of our, con- our, our communication, Culture teaches us that we should be offended and outraged at anything that we perceive contradicts our personal beliefs and our freedoms, and that outrage is the way to make your opinion known, that that's the way you're going to change hearts and minds. But James is saying that as Christians, we should not be like that. In fact, it, it should be just the opposite. In verse 20, James gives us the reason why this type of insidious communication that the world uses should not mark us. And he says this, because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Think about that for a second. That's a big statement. We know this. We've seen it lived out on TV in our politics. We've experienced it in our personal lives. 
that our anger does not produce in other people righteousness. (laughs) You know, when was the last time that internet troll encouraged you to follow Jesus more? Right? When was that time that political radio show from the opposite side persuaded you to their opinion? It doesn't happen that way. In fact, last year I had an internet troll after me for a little while. If, you've know, if you're friends with me on Facebook, maybe you saw this. I, I invited people just in a broad brush, come to our Christmas service. And what do I get in response from this guy? A, an angry meme that says, Christmas is not Christian. Okay, right. And then I thought, okay, it's a one-off. No, it started after that. Everything I posted, I would get some kind of angry response from this guy. And do you think that changed my mind about what I believe? Not in the slightest. In fact, it made me dig my heels in more. And so unfriended and moved on, right? But I was not persuaded by his thoughts. His anger towards me did not produce the change of my mind that he would have liked to seen. And the same is true for us when we unleash on others in our communication whether it's online or we vent or we, we just got to let the world know what we think about things. It doesn't persuade people and produce the righteousness in God and them. And James is telling us because of this truth, our speech has to be different. If we're going to be people that, that are producing the righteousness of God in our lives and in others, then we have to communicate in a different way. I think we can see this true to be true in our parenting. You know, there's few things in my life that can push my anger button like my children. In fact, they don't just push it. They come and they just dance all over it, right? (laughs) They know exactly what to do. And so I've learned that I can get mad at my kids and I can get them to do what I want because of my anger. And really, that's just cheap, quick obedience because they want to avoid my wrath, (laughs) But it doesn't produce heart change in them that produces a heart that wants to follow God and live in obedience to his laws. Sinful anger, it's almost always self-focused. It's about about me. It doesn't have other people's interests in view, rather just my own. In my anger, I want to make me happy. I want what is least irritating to me. I want what I think is the best solution, and you should too. James is telling us that's not how we can get about the right ways of God. I can hijack the situation with my anger, but it doesn't teach my kids or anyone else to follow Jesus from the heart. And the Bible teaches us, and and others have seen, that when we are tempted to be angry at those around us with our kids, our spouse, others, it's good just to pause for a moment and remind ourselves, what's what's the goal here? (laughs) What am I after? You know, in fact, I've read a few studies that talks about that when you feel that surge of anger come into your veins, that hot surge that comes in and you're going to say something stupid or do something irrational, that if you can just ask yourself a question, pause for one moment, your mind can regain control of what's going on here. It doesn't even have to be any great question. You can say, who won the World Series in 1996? I don't know, right? You just need to pause yourself for a second. If we can get to a place where we can ask ourselves, what is the goal of this conversation that I'm having right now? What are my actions going to do? The goal is not cheap obedience for my sake. 
The goal should be teaching my kids to be disciples of Jesus that will follow him for life. That isn't brought about through my anger. It does not produce the righteousness of God. And we know this is true even in our marriages. When we're angry with our spouses, you can guarantee we aren't taking them closer to Jesus. In fact, when was the last time your spouse got mad at you and said, Oh, I just let's go to a worship service together. Right? It doesn't work that way. In fact, men, we are called by God to work at our wives' sanctification. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26, it says we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that we might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. James is telling us our anger doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. Rather, it's through his word. So rather with our wives and our kids and all those around us being quick to anger, we should be slow to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And we can all be good listeners, be better listeners. This, this is easy. Practice when you're with people. Just sit there and listen, right? Keep your mouth shut for a while. Listen to that person. Let them speak about their life. And then begin to actively engage in listening. Ask them clarifying questions. You said this. What do you mean by that? Tell me more about that in your life. I want to hear. Right? Listen. We can be slow to speak. I practice this when I'm meeting with people. Ask the Spirit for guidance. God, what can I say to this person in response to what they're telling me? What, what can I say that would build them up in the gospel? What can I say that would help them follow Jesus more and understand what's going on? And then we can learn to manage our feelings and surges of anger. Remind ourselves of the goal. And guess what? Release control of the situation to God. God cares more about the things going on in your life than anyone else. Let Him deal with things and you stay in submission to Him. And so James is telling us our communication as Christians, it should look different. Now he's going to take it a step further here in 121 and he's going to move to this major imperative. He says, in contrast to the world's type of communication, we're, we're to put away these methods and rather receive the word of God. So 121 says this, therefore, because, as he's saying, therefore, because anger doesn't produce righteousness of God, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So get what he's saying here. He's saying we're to put off these ways of communication that are ineffective in God's economy and rather receive God's word. And I love the picture that James is developing for us. Instead of sending out our word, our opinion, our way of doing things, he says, no, rather put that away and take in God's word. I think the Christian asks in each situation, what does God say about this? What do I need to receive from him? What does his words say? See, there's an issue here of cherishing Christ in our heart, letting him be the guide of our life. Will I be the, the, the guide of my life or will I allow God to lead my life as I face various things? When I put away my thoughts to hear God's thoughts, then you'll have something to say. Right? So God's word is powerful. And, and a sure guide to our hearts, as we're going to see throughout 
James. Notice here that James says the word is able to actually save us. Similarly, James has already said in verse 18 that God brought us forth by the word of truth, that God actually spoke into our lives through his word and saved us. He made the truth known to us, and he's saying instead of all this crazy communication, receive God's word and let him speak to you. He's repeatedly focusing on God's word and its saving action in our life. So God speaks to us through his word, and then when we declare and teach his word, he uses it to change our lives. And God's word will accomplish its purposes in your life. This is what the Bible tells us. Isaiah 55, 11, God's word goes out from his mouth, and it will not return void to him, but it shall accomplish all that he desires. So if we want to experience real life transformation, then we must take in God's word so that it can do its work in us. As James has said, it's the word of God that has actually introduced us to the gospel. So it's up to us to find ways to take in God's word regularly, and I hope you do that. We can do that by reading God's word. We can listen to it if you don't like reading. I've even known some people that have dedicated themselves to writing out God's Word. They just take it and copy it as a way to get it in their heart and mind. We can memorize God's Word. We've been doing this as a staff. And, you know, it's, it's crazy how many times when you get in a tight situation, if you memorize God's Word, God brings it to your mind and gives you wisdom for the moment. That's what James is getting at here that we would take in God's Word. Furthermore, James calls the word here the implanted Word. It, it recalls these images of growing plants in our mind, maybe even the parable of the soils in Matthew 13, that there's a, a sower who's giving out God's Word, and it's landing on various types of soil, which, which represent our hearts, and that we are to receive God's Word it should go down into the soil of our hearts and there begin to grow until it grows into a big tree that bears much fruit in our life. Psalm 1, 2 through 3 tells us about a man who pictures this for us, the blessed man who delights in the law of God, and he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. That means this man is finding life in the Word of God, and it is producing in him fruit at the very moment that it needs to, and he will persevere because he is rooted in God's Word. Taking in God's Word is the main way that God grows us into maturity as Christians. So I'd encourage you, find, find ways to get the Word of God into your life. Sunday morning is one of those. That's why we gather together. And I can think of my own life back many years now when God's Word really began to take root in my life. It was really after college, I began to read some books, some Christian books, and they began to point me to Scripture, and then I began to read my Bible. And I think about when I was about 20 years old was the first time I read the Bible all the way through, and God changed my life. And for the next 20 years, I've given myself to to understanding God's Word, and I've just seen tremendous growth in my own heart and soul because of what God's Word has taught me, how the Spirit has worked in my life. It's challenged me, changed me, guided me, rebuked me, taught me, and grown me. 
feel like I can say with the psalmist now in Psalm 19, 7 and 8, he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And so James is telling us, instead of all this crazy communication that comes out of your own soul, rather receive the word of God and let it change you, and then you'll have something to say. And you'll know how to talk to others and bring about the righteousness of God. Now, James has another side of this coin that he wants us to understand, and it's this, this second imperative. So we want to receive the word of God, take it in, and then he calls us, to live out the word of God in James 1, 22 through 27. So this bearing of, of fruit, it's, it's, it's the word that as it's present in all of our lives that we would then bear fruit by what we hear from God. This is what he says in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James is telling us that, look, as Christians, it's not enough to know about God and his things and yet not live in the ways he's called us to live, that our lives should look different. And he gives us this great, this silly illustration of a guy who goes and looks in a mirror and then forgets what he looks like. He walks away and doesn't remember. And maybe for us in 2022, it might be somebody who takes a selfie and posts it online and forgets what they posted, right? They don't remember what they look like. You know, so often we can come to church Sunday by Sunday. We can engage in small groups and different things, hear nice messages and teaching about the gospel, maybe even be challenged in some ways about how we're living. And yet, as soon as we walk out of the door, we cast that aside and we go back to all the things of our daily life throughout the week. There's a danger in our Christian world today, I think, to consume Christian things that make us feel good, maybe even affect our emotions a bit, create a nice network of friends for us to love Christian ideals and yet never let the Word of God actually change our heart in real ways. That's what James is getting at here, never putting our faith to work. We believe a lot of things, but it doesn't actually change who we are. And I've thought about this a lot. You know, God will hold us accountable for every bit of teaching we've ever received. (laughs) You ever think about that? Listen, we live in a nation with the most access to the Word of God ever. We have books and podcasts and churches and Bibles and all sorts of translations. And you can Google on the internet and find every sort of Bible verse under the sun. And God says, what are you doing with it? There are people that are dying around the world to get even just a little bit of God's Word. And this terrifies me after spending the last 10 years of my life rigorously studying the Bible that God would hold me accountable that not only should I know these things, but they ought to be affecting my heart. 
They ought to be changing who I am. And James is telling us that when God speaks through his word, it's our responsibility to then let that affect our life and let it come out. This is what it means to have faith that works. Faith, faith is an action word. It's one part belief. You believe something about God, and then you step out and you live your life based on what he said. It's an action. We believe, and then we put our faith into action. And listen, I know sometimes it hurts to look in that mirror of God's Word. <laughs> sometimes it hurts bad. You know, we had a, I've been away for the last week and a half. We took a road trip to, to Kentucky and Tennessee for a pastor's conference and then visited some friends and family. And you know what? We had a great trip as a family. Like, it was a really good trip. Kids were good. Everybody was good. Visited a lot of people. Good time. But you know what? The last day of our trip, we'd driven 1,200 miles <laughs> back to Salt Lake City. We're in Rock Springs, and you know what happens? I get mad at one of my kids, right? 1,200 miles in the car, I get mad at one of my kids. And Friday morning, I get up to study for this sermon. You know what James 1.20 says? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I get it, God, right? Ouch. I get it. I'll work on being a better parent that's more kind, that's more compassionate, that, that teaches my kids in the gospel, shows them grace. Lord, God, God's word cuts right to the root issues of our heart. That's why it's, it's our guide. It's why it's what changes us. As Hebrews 4.12 says, it's the word of God that's living and active. It's sharper than any sword. It pierces the division of our soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. That's why it's so important for our growth, because it sorts out our crazy hearts in ways that we never could. It speaks right into the matter. And then we have a choice. Will we follow what God has shown us or not? The Holy Spirit speaks through these pages, shows us the sin in our heart, and applies the gospel in new and real ways to heal us. It's our responsibility to listen to what God teaches us and let it be implanted and let it grow and make real change. As 1 John 3.18 says, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That this is real faith, believing what God has said and letting it affect our hearts and living it out in our lives. And James tells us that the man who begins to live out the things of God, the word of God, that he will be blessed in his doing. I love this. Because we begin to live the ways God has designed us to live, actually we find freedom in what God is telling us and the things we've always been looking for. That we are blessed as we begin to live in God's ways. That we must learn to cherish Christ and his word and we receive the blessing of that. Let me ask you, what would it look like if your speech began to look like what God desires in his word? How would that change your relationships? What if you began to pray without ceasing as God instructs us in your life, as God calls us to do? You know, we've been praying more as a church, and I've already seen so many prayers answered by God. Why don't I pray more? <laughs> What if we participated in the Great Commission to share Jesus every day with the world around us? What if we gave 10% of our income to the church based on the scriptures? The church would have more money than they knew what to do with. 
What if we made discipleship of our children the top priority over sports and academics? God would change your family. What if we took God's call for holiness in our lives, living differently than the world around us? What if we took God's command to love one another well? Then we would be living a life of worship to God with our lives. We would live in the blessing of God. And a dying world would see the gospel in us in ways they have never seen it before. John Piper has this great quote, you know, he said, this has been his ministry, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And we are satisfied in him when we cherish Christ and we learn to walk in his ways. Listen, our world needs a faith that works. Every week we have people coming into our church that are searching for God and something to satisfy their hearts. And when we live out our lives in the ways God has called, then we will be a pleasing aroma to those looking for Jesus. Now, finally, Paul gives us a couple practical examples here. In the last few verses, he returns to this idea of speech first in verse 26 when he says this, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religious is, religion is worthless. In other words, don't fool yourself. If you say you're a Christian, yet you consistently tear people down with your words, talk about inappropriate things, spew lies and anger, then you may need to think about if you're a Christian. You should be changed in every facet of your life. Jesus says in Luke 6.45 that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so James is telling us in this example, this is a self-diagnostic. What comes out of your mouth? What do you talk about? That's where your heart is. And if your heart's not in a good place, then his answer is, take in the Word of God and let it change your heart. So what does your speech say about you this morning? Now here's the good part. If we failed in our speech, if we failed in any of these ways that James is talking about with us, if they've been a place for struggle for us, then we can get things right with God. God simply asks us to repent of our sins and walk in a new direction. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, we are, we're saved by grace. It's not the things we do that saves us. Jesus paid for all of our sins long before we were born. In fact, we're just walking out all the sins that he's already paid for. But God does ask us to get our hearts right before him, to set him as Lord and begin to cherish him in his life and move towards a place of holiness. In fact, James is going to talk about, in this last verse, the example of showing mercy and a pursuit for holiness being examples of a life that takes the word of God and puts it into action. James 1.27 says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I want you to see what James is really doing here. Really, he's summarizing the whole Bible just like Jesus did in the Great Commandment. That our job as Christians is to love God and to love other people. And when we love orphans and widows, that is us showing mercy in the name of God to other people. And when we, we work on our personal holiness, that is us loving God well. 
In fact, that's what Jesus said. If you love me, then you will follow my commandments. That Christ calls us to live a new life in him that doesn't look like the world. And all of this is based on his grace. You know, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God is saying, I did the work of salvation in your life, and now I've saved you. It's not about anything you've done. I've set you over here as clean and perfect. Now I want you to begin to walk in the good things I have for you. Begin to look like me. Grow in these things. And oftentimes as the church, we've divided holiness from serving others. And we know church traditions that have fallen off the one side where they're all about serving people and they don't care about holiness. And other churches that are all about holiness and they become prudes that don't care about other people. But James is saying these things go together. A life that is impacted by the word loves God and it works on its holiness and it loves other people. It cares for them. So God is calling us to follow him in very practical ways. And Benj, you can come on up. James has called us to take in God's word and then live it out. And he says when we do that, we will be a blessed people. God has saved us to be a holy people that are glorifying him in this world. And I think each week as we look at James, he gives us some really practical things to look at. And I think for us this week, this is our, this is our question is, are you going to allow God's word to shape your life in the days ahead? That's what he's saying. A Christian allows God's word to shape their life. They take it in. And then they live it out. For some of us, that means we need to get in His Word. And let me challenge you to do that this week. If it's hard for you, reach out to one of us. We can help you do that. Or reach out to someone else to do that with you. It's fun to get into God's Word with other people together. And others of us know a lot about what God has said. But we need to put our faith into work and to begin to live it out in new ways. Where's God calling you to make changes in your life this week? Maybe you need to change your speech, as James has been talking about today. Maybe you need to set aside anger in your life. Maybe there's something else God is pressing on your heart. He says, I've saved you in my grace. Just come to me and let's work on this thing. In Christ, you are perfectly accepted, but let's become the people that I've called you to be. Let's walk in those good works that God has prepared for us. Let's work in our holiness the next couple of weeks and step into the good works that God has for us to do as we stand in the grace of Christ who has saved us. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word that speaks to our hearts, Lord. Lord, we come to your word knowing that you have saved us by your Son and it is through grace we are saved, and yet... Once we are saved, you have things for us to do. You want to be reflected in our life. And so, Father, help us to take in what you have said and begin to live it out in new ways in our life. Lord, speak to us by your Spirit now. May we be willing to confess sin and to say, I want to follow you in new ways, God. Lord, be with us now as we worship you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.